Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Before we begin, I, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might really, really enjoy. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls and hackers and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel this, this giant mystery with the help of those who know best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, even a former Russian KGB agent. Join Europe Bureau Chief of Global News, Jeff Semple. He goes on a journey to unravel how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. You can listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying the ongoing history of new music. Do it. Trust me, you'll love it. This is Nathan Folliwell, drummer and the most rakish member of Kings of Leon. First record, Jerry was 15? 15. Was it always you, three, and your cousin? Yeah. Now, how did that come about? Oh. Well, I guess it was the only guys you hung out with. Yeah, that was the only, you know, growing up, that's all you really hung out with was family. Um, yeah, we signed our deal in 2001, me and Caleb. And then they were trying to help us put our band together. And we're like, we'll just buy our little brother a bass. They're like, has he ever played before? We're like, no, but you know, he'll probably learn. So they're like, snicker. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And they're like, who's gonna play guitar? And we're like, our cousin Matt, you know, I think he took a couple guitar lessons. Like, so we'll just, you know, we'll let him be the guitar player. And they were just, thought it was so funny. They're like, okay, we'll see you guys in a month. And they gave us a box set for Zeppelin. We went and bought a big old bag of dope locked herself in the garage <laughs> you're kidding and a month later they came down and we played them five songs and they were like we're sorry you know this is the band do whatever you want to do like so we pretty much had the blessing from there on okay that's where we'll start you can see where this is gonna go it's the history of the kings of leon in their own words this is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Kings of Leon and Notion, one of the big singles from their 2008 album, Only by the Night, the record that really pushed them over the top. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and, uh, well, you don't need me to tell you that Kings of Leon have become one of the most famous and most acclaimed bands of the latter part of the first decade of the 20th century. For some fans, they seem to have come out of nowhere with this one album. But that really couldn't be further from the truth. It took five years, one EP, and four albums to get that far. Let's get to the story, and let's get all four members of Kings of Leon to tell it. I got them all together, Cal, Nathan, Jared, and Matthew, in one room, and we started an interrogation. We'll begin with Cal, the singer, and Nathan, the drummer. So we're uh, a bunch of albums into what looks like a, a very sustainable career. And it's, it's rather interesting with you guys, because you start with an EP, re release a bunch of albums, and you're allowed to develop as a band, which is, is unusual, because... Let's face it, a lot of bands these days, you get one album, one or two singles, and out. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I, I guess it must be some, some pretty cool vindication, you know, leave us alone, let us develop, let us build a fan base, and we can, we'll turn this into a monster. Well, it's, you know, especially now, 
when you know the things that are that are happening in our career and and things that you know that like you say a lot of bands don't get to do um for us it's just it's so much sweeter you know because we worked our way to where we are now you know you have a lot of bands that come out and they have this one flute pop hit and they're playing you know these big venues on their first album and then their second album tanks and they're gone Mm -hmm. and for us you know it's album four before we get to play these places so we've worked our way up and we've waited for this moment and we've prepared for it and so i mean i don't know if the record label did it on purpose i think just the way that we made records and the way that they would be surprisingly successful in certain places and then other places they were just kind of under the radar so they they kind of had to let us develop because they didn't want to you know they didn't want to drop us from the label when they knew they were guaranteed 500,000 sold in the UK and Australia and all this, you know. And that's the interesting thing, too, is because your first seat of success, is, it wasn't in America, it wasn't in North America, it was, it was in the UK and Europe, which, which is a bit <coughs> unexpected for a, a band from, from Tennessee. Yeah, especially considering when we first came out, the sound that we were producing was, you know, we thought that the South was going to be the only place that would actually get it. And the South was one of the last places to get it. Um, and there were these, be these kids in Ireland that would be singing our songs, and we were just like, "Ha!" I, I didn't, I didn't know how they could understand what I was saying. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it was just a crazy, crazy thing. And I mean, I definitely think there was some luck involved. Um, but you know, after that all passed, we. We really worked, and every time we write a song, every time we make an album, we all sit down and you know we kind of talk about what we want to do next and what what we want to do that we haven't done before. I think our backstory kind of kept their attention long enough for them to realize, oh, you know, besides the fact that there are three brothers and a cousin and were raised on the road by a preacher father, I think um, I think the story definitely sucked them in. But then, you know, it kept their attention long enough to realize that, you know, this this band might have some potential to, you know, actually actually make great music and be something more than just a a novelty. You know, when we first got to England, I mean, I honestly think they were surprised that we had socks and shoes on <laughs> when we stepped off the plane. Like, I think they were expecting just these wild, crazy, hillbilly, redneck, you know, guys that had never seen the world. and which we were, we just had socks and shoes on. Okay, wait, wait, let's let's go back to the beginning. There are three Fallwell brothers. Nathan is the oldest, then it's Caleb, and finally it's Jared. And the first thing that you should know is that all these guys go by their middle names. Nathan was actually named after Ivan, his father. Caleb's first name is Anthony. Jared's driver's license reads Michael Jared Followell. And we'll get to Matthew in just a minute. The boys were brought up in a hardcore Pentecostal family. Dad was a preacher. And he, Mother Betty Ann, and the boys were, uh, well, pretty nomadic for a while. They'd travel from town to town all over the South in an old Chrysler, 
so dad could deliver fire and brimstone messages about how all sinners were going to hell. Occasionally, the boys would be enlisted to sing or bang drums during the services, and that's how they eventually learned how to play guitar and bass and drums, by singing gospel songs. Since there was no money for hotels, the family would camp out between services. And for the most part, the brothers were homeschooled. Although for a while, they were able to settle down in Jackson, Tennessee, where they were enrolled in a parochial school. Here's Caleb and Nathan again. I would imagine that traveling with Dad, the Pentecostal minister, that you've got a bunch of rather unique road stories about traveling with Dad, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for us, it was it was good times. It was, you know, family all together on the road. So, I mean, you know, just normal road trip stories, pretty much. There wasn't anything really crazy going on. Um, but, but Dad liked to rock. I mean, he would put on, you know, the Stones and Neil Young in the car when Mom wasn't there, right? Yeah, when she'd fall asleep, he would. Um, that was actually my best memories was when I, everyone was asleep and I would stay up with my dad and we'd listen to music or I was just really, I would stay up to keep him awake for the long drives. But yeah, we had we had some good times. What else would you listen to? Neil Young, it was the Stones, it was Zeppelin, what else? What, uh... um, pretty much whatever was on the AM, AM radio at two o'clock in the morning. Cause he would, he would put it on sports to make my mom go to sleep cause she would get so bored and she would pass out. Then as soon as she would go out, he would, uh, flip through the uh, AM stations until he came across a... See, there's nothing like driving through the South with an AM radio on in the middle of the night. Because the stuff that you hear is like, you don't hear that kind of stuff anywhere else in the world. Uh, yeah, it was quite, cool. quite interesting. We would, he, he would also listen to, um, if he came across someone that was preaching on the radio, we would listen to it. And, and there were some funny, funny preachers. Like, just not that smart of people, but you know, they were on the radio trying to reach out to people and we would have a good laugh at them. There was a station out of Nashville. I used to do late night club gigs. And I would drive home through the country and with the AM radio on at the far right hand end of the dial, which is where all the low power stations were. And I remember picking up stations from Virginia and South Carolina and Tennessee and Kentucky. And you're right, some of those preachers were really kind of weird. This one guy was trying to sell people uh, a lucky thing for your shoe. And what he would, <laughs> he wanted you to send in a donation, he would send you this lucky thing for your shoe. And it was, it was hysterical. That's pretty funny. Yeah, they'll try to sell you anything. I mean, Sounds about right. Anything can get you to heaven on the radio. <laughs> I actually saw one guy, a televangelist one time, that was actually trying to sell the tears from Jesus that he wept on the cross. Like, the most ridiculous, like, and there were people that were literally, for thirty nine ninety nine. you could actually get... They never evaporated or anything. It was crazy. And there were actually people that bought, I'm like, who the hell was there? with a little like, yeah, could you cry into this bucket, please? I was a very smart investor. $39 now, that's like a million dollars in the Bible days. <laughs> now, before you get the wrong impression, Dad was actually pretty cool for a preacher. He'd let the boys hold parties at the house, but when he decided that it was time for everybody to go home, he'd load up the microwave with jalapeno peppers, turn it on high, and kind of tear gas everybody out of the place. Nathan, being the oldest, graduated from high school first. Caleb bailed on school in grade 11 to become a construction worker, but once Nathan got deeper into music, he quit that too. Caleb bailed on school in grade 11 to be a construction worker, but then once he got deeper into music, he quit that too. Jared ended up just tagging along. Caleb had already claimed the guitar while Nathan was the drummer, so 
That left poor Jared on base. You told me the story last time about your first record deal about how somebody sent you off into the shed with a bunch of Led Zeppelin records and a bag of dope and said, you know, write some songs. Yeah, when we first uh, met with the label, um, they always let you in the closet of all the artists that they have, or so you can pretty much just get any CDs you want that they have in the um, in there. And they sent us home with a box set of Led Zeppelin, and uh, we we got the goods on our own and uh, went in Mom's garage, and that's where the band pretty much uh, started. We formed over the next two weeks. By the time they went out into that shed, the three Followell brothers were joined by their cousin Cameron Matthew Followell on guitar. The first one is the, is the EP, the Holy Roller Novocaine EP, and Wicker Chair is on that album, uh, on that EP, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, was that the first song you guys wrote? That was the first song I, I wrote on a guitar, yeah. What uh, were you writing on before? Acapella. Just singing that? Yeah, we would just sing songs acapella, um, didn't know how to play instruments. Um, then one day, I, you know, I was at one of my friend's house and he was playing a guitar and I was about to go buy a guitar. Actually, I think I had just bought a guitar, but I didn't know anything. And I looked at his fingers and he was playing a C chord into an F and was just kind of moving his fingers around. And I was thinking, man, you have to remember these chords, remember them. And so I went home and was just messing around um, and we were in the, the garage and Jared was actually sitting in a white wicker chair. Um, I think we were stoned or something, so I, was, I just went, brum, 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 brum. In your little white wicker chair, unsuspicious and nobody cared. I was really talking about him being stoned and my mom not knowing it. Um, but then it just kind of started flowing and I just started writing, you know, lyrics about helpless situations and people that you care about that you know, don't really care enough for themselves to get some help. See, rock music is probably the only art form where the less you know, the better the chance you have of improving it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we have lots of friends that are classically trained and, and you know, they had lessons and all this and they come to us and like, what is that chord you're playing? And I'm like, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you what chord it is to save my life. I just know it sounds good. We're probably the only band in the world that if we, if he, they do a special on him for bass magazine or guitar mag, or drum magazine that we have to have our text there with us that give us cheat sheets. Like I know for me, anytime I do anything with a drum magazine, like I have to have my drum tech write out the size of my drums, what kind I play, what kind of heads, what kind of, because I literally have no idea. And they, I did a thing with the drum magazine a couple of months ago. And the guy interviewing me was like, you really don't really know that much about the drums, do you? And I was like, no, honestly, I, I really don't. But you stick an instrument in our, our hands and stick us on the stage and we'll, you know, that's when the, when the magic happens. But as far as the technical stuff goes, we, I'd say we're probably the least technical band in the world to ever, you know, reach this level. I used to teach and work in a drum shop and be surprised how many guys like there are like you who can play like nobody's business but you ask them you know was that a 13 or a 14 rack tom they go i don't know yeah what's a rack tom <laughs> you're losing your mind you're losing your mind you're losing your mind 
Kings of Leon and Wicker Chair, pretty much their first proper song, which showed up in their 2003 EP, Holy Roller Novocaine. After they started writing songs, they started getting gigs. And things began a little weirdly. Do you remember the first time, um, uh, your first gig? You must have, you know, coming from, from you know, I guess, rural Tennessee, you would, you would have had to play at some, some really interesting bars, local bars. You remember the first gig? Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first Kings of Leon gig. Um, we, uh, we actually opened up for Billy Joe Shaver. Um, we were the first of three. It was us and then a band called The Skeeters, which is country for mosquitoes, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure they've all drank themselves to death. Probably. Now. probably. But yeah, it was, a, it was our first gig and we, we were nervous because it was all cowboy hats and um, people that were there for old Western music. And so we were all just like, man, what are we going to do? Well, that's kind of like that scene out of the Blues Brothers where they go to that bar and they have to play behind chicken wire. Yeah, yeah. It was. It had like this this curtain um, and it would open and you would play and then you hit your last chord and it would go and close. And I remember after we hit our last chord, it was like a Saved by the Bell moment. We all like gave a high five and then we got off stage and went to watch the other band and we realized that the curtain was see-through. So the whole place saw us high-fiving and, like, hugging and crying. (laughs) (laughs) So they survived that, despite the embarrassment, but Kings of Leon almost ended their career before they started it. And it was an event that happened on September the 11th, 2001. It's not what you think. Story's next. I have all four members of Kings of Leon telling the story of the band in their own words. We'll get to more of that after we hear something else from their first EP. This track got them into a couple of video games and on the soundtrack of the NASCAR comedy Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. It's the title track, Holy Roller Novocaine. Holy Roller Novocaine, the title track from the debut EP from Kings of Leon. Here's more from Nathan Followable. So how long did it take to make the first record after that? Um, we were making our EP like a month later in Memphis, and then we made our record, our first you know, full record, probably six months later, eight months later. Well, I guess you guys have always been on the road. I was going to say you've been on the road ever since, but with the Traveling Preacher situation, yeah. Uh, not a lot of downtime at home, right? No, we never. Man, I can remember we've had, we had two houses for more than two years growing up. So we were always either staying with family in Oklahoma or staying with family in Tennessee. Because my dad's whole family's from Oklahoma and my mom's is from Tennessee. So we were just always just back and forth in the bouncing back and forth. Now here's the story about how they almost ended their career before it started, when they somehow managed to, well, it involved a fire that almost burned down a building in San Diego. And yeah, was their fault. Nathan Followell, give us your confession. I heard a story that you may have almost burned down a building in San Diego. Is that story true? That's true. It happened on September 11th. The September 11th. Really? Oh, yes. We were in uh, San Diego playing a um, 
singing for um, a bunch of radio and TV programmers and stuff like that. And uh, we'd actually saw it on the news because we were on the West Coast, so it was super early there. And we woke up and saw the, the, the buildings on fire and all that stuff, and we're like, there's no way we're gonna, we're gonna go play for these people. Half of them were from New York, and we knew they probably had friends and family that they were worried about. They were like, no, it really, you know, it would take our mind off of it for, even if just for 30 minutes, you know, kind of let us think about something other than, you know, our family and stuff not being safe. So we sang at the uh, confab and uh, they were all very appreciative and we were pretty rattled from that day and went to a friend's, a friend was crashing on his friend's uh, couch, like this nice penthouse suite, like everything white, white carpet, white leather, like. Not after we got done. <laughs> Made us take our shoes off. He's like, dude, if he knows that I had company over here, he'll kick me out. Like, so we gotta be, you know, you can't make a mess or anything. So we went outside, smoked on the balcony. I was the lucky one to have it last. So I put it in the ashtray, not even thinking that there was astroturf on the ground of the balcony. And I guess a gust of wind blew the, uh, cigarette butt onto the um, onto the astroturf and it's very flammable we later learned and uh, fire department had to bang the knock the door down run the hoses all the way through like just totally trash this guy's house and we were at lunch and got a call like the penthouse is on fire I'm like you like we're eating lunch leave us alone like it's like no the penthouse is on fire so uh September 11th, yes, we, we, we tried burned to, down. We tried to take his mind off of the pain of September 11th. So now he has a whole different memory of that day. The first full Kings of Leon album was called Youth and Young Manhood. This is Caleb and Jared. Youth and Young Manhood, is that uh, a, a title from Dad's Bible? Is that where that came from? Yeah, it was from the back of his Bible. There's like this tree of life, and every branch that sprouted out, it has a different... different um, I don't know what what you call it. I mean, it's not titles. It's. I think it was the tree of Moses' life, and it showed like youth and young manhood, and then it grew, you know, like went all the way up through his life. Mm. There were actually a lot of them that were amazing, and we when we first saw it, we were like, well, that's album number one. That's number two. That's number three. But then we got into this five-syllable thing, and so we just kind of kept that going. So every album title has five syllables. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I never, I never noticed that before. Except for the EP. Except for the EP, yeah. Well, that's cool. And and that you know, Youth and Young Manhood was the album that I guess really caught on UK and Europe, and then kind of went from there. How did that album, first of all, even get released in, in the UK and Europe? And um, why would they care? Well, when we um, <clears throat> when we did the EP, we uh, we were going to go in. Uh, I think our record label was just kind of showing people. I know that they they showed it to a couple of the guys from The Strokes, and um, and they you know they were intrigued by us and wanted to know more. Um, so we we went in to make an album, and halfway through the four weeks, they had a tour booked, and we were just like, what do you what do you mean a tour? We played like not that many shows as a band. We hadn't played ten shows. Yeah, we were we were scared to death, and the tour that they were that had booked us on it was like this. This magazine uh, had like this tour in the UK, and it was all the hottest bands. And some of these bands, the members were like thirty something years old, and they're like, Meow. and we we're just like, holy shit. 
what are we gonna do? And we got there and went to our first show and it was sold out and every other show was sold out. And then we came back home and to finish the album and had so many more songs because I had just seen my first taste of, you know, the lifestyle. And so I came home and I wrote Tranny and Spiral Staircase and and then didn't you go on tour with U2 that same year? No, we went we went with the Strokes that year. We went with U2 on the following uh-huh. year, following the album. Yeah. Youth and Young Manhood contained a bunch of material from the first EP, some of it as is, some of it re-recorded. This was one song that attracted attention. It's called Molly's Chambers. Molly's Chambers, from both the debut EP, Holy Roller Novocaine, and the first CD, Youth and Young Manhood, which is the first of the five-syllable album titles. Like you heard, that's a rule. All Kings of Leon albums must have a title with no more and no less than five syllables. This is part one of a two-parter where the guys from Kings of Leon tell their own story in their own words. It also helps to fill in the blanks for people who got into the band with their fourth album, Only by the Night. Hey, you know what we haven't covered yet? Leon. Who is the Leon in Kings of Leon? Here's Nathan. The way we grew up, we couldn't listen to rock and roll. I mean, we heard our first Led Zeppelin record in 2001. So that'll let you know. Is this because Dad was a preacher? Yeah. So Dad was anti-rock and roll? Dad, well, he was an ex-hippie pothead, but had kind of come full circle. And, uh, yeah, every now and then we'd be, you know, driving. My mom would pass out, and it'd be 3 a.m., and... A Hendrix song or something would come on and he would go back to the good old days and tell us a story of him and his buddies smoking pot or something but those were few and far between for the most part we didn't get to listen to any rotten music what does he think about the situation now oh, he loves it it's so funny because his name is Leon as well but we named it after our grandfather because we're all you know his grandsons uh, my dad his whole life has been Ivan but since the band, I swear, if he was in here right now, he'd be like, hi, I'm Leon. So he has embraced his, uh, his middle name now, thanks to the band. And he's, he's proud of his voice. Oh, yeah. Super proud. Yeah. Okay, we're up to the second full album now. It's called Aha Shake Heartbreak. Aha Shake Heartbreak. Five syllables. Because the band found their early success in the UK, where they were lumped together in this whole new rock revival thing that included bands like The Strokes, this record got a British release first and a North American release second. The first single was a track called The Bucket. It hit number 16 on the British singles charts and helped take the CD to number three on the British album charts. And by the way, this song is based on Caleb Falwell's situation. At the time all this was going down, he was just 17. Kings of Leon and The Bucket, one of three songs that turned into big singles in the UK. Every one of them made the top 20, which you got to admit is a little weird for a band from Tennessee. By this time, Kings of Leon had some big fans in high places. Bob Dylan thought they were great. Elvis Costello, Pearl Jam. You too picked them for a tour. Dylan picked them for a tour, for God's sake. Here's Jared Folliwell and what all that was like. Uh, it was crazy. We kind of 
we knew about them, but we didn't know enough about them really until we toured with them. We kind of got the whole rundown of their, you know, their entire story, their whole back catalog once we toured with them, you know. I mean, we knew their singles, but we had no idea how amazing of a band they were until we toured with them. Um, and it was cool, you know, they kind of took us under their wings for that whole tour and taught us a lot of stuff that we still use to this day, you know, like on the business side of touring and stuff. Um, and as far as lighting and just having, you know, a really big, unique show. So, I don't know, it was crazy, especially for, I think, well, I guess for all of us, because we were all pretty young, but it was pretty insane. Yeah, they're, they're, the attention to detail that they put into everything is just like, before every show, they're in there washing the lights and change and stuff and we I mean that's one thing that we don't really we don't even sound check most of the time we just the first chord we hit is the first one of the show you must really trust your crew I think we're just lazy actually <laughs> um, we've got a couple of couple of crew members that we don't really trust keeps them honest we trust that they understand that they'll get fired if they mess up <laughs> here's another track from that era this is called King of the Rodeo <laughs> Kings of Leon and King of the Rodeo, one of the singles from their second album, Aha Shake Heartbreak, which finally came out in North America in February of 2005, almost five months after it was released in the UK. The Kings of Leon story is a good one. Three brothers and a cousin from Tennessee, all brought up by a preaching family who then discover rock, get stoned, get a record deal, and become world famous. I mean, it just doesn't get any weirder than that. In fact, I told Nathan Fallowell that if this was a movie script, then it would never get made because no one would believe the story. Yet here it is. On part two, we'll pick things up with a third album, Because of the Times, because of the times, five syllables, which came out in 2007. And there were more stories to come from all four guys in the band. That's part two of the history of Kings of Leon in their own words next time. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Podcasts.